You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, well, good morning. If you got a Bible, you can open it up to Psalms 32. We're going to get started there. Uh, Kaylee said she hopes this encourages you. And the message title is, is there something wrong with me? And you might think, well, how could anything be encouraging by answering that question? Um, you know, as a, as a pastor, um, I didn't grow up in the church world uh, necessarily. Uh, I, I was a, the prodigal son story and uh, had a lot of unchurched friends. And I've made it just kind of my, my life mission to make sure I'm around folks that are outside of the church quite a bit. And I do think answering this question is probably one of the most important witnessing uh, tools for you to share your faith. Uh, and perhaps those of you that maybe have not crossed that line of, of, of uh, faith and said, I believe in Jesus, this is going to help out a lot, help you to answer some questions about life and who you are as a person and the struggles we face. So I want to say a special uh, welcome to all of our online viewers. Uh, a lot of folks are traveling, and uh, I just heard a story recently of uh, folks have been out of town and tuning in and going camping and all that stuff. So excited to be able to uh, be here today. Um, I just got back from a trip out in the White Mountains and uh, had a wonderful time out there. Been working on uh, pr- uh, preparing for the Gospel of John. I'm going to be launching that out, uh, starting that up uh, right after this series. We've got a, another week or so, and then we'll kick off the Gospel of John. Uh, that'll be about a three-year series. I'll do it in about 10-week sec- sessions. And then um, we'll just work through that. So probably no better time uh, to get acquainted with the Gospel of John than in that series. Uh, If you've never been through that, it's an incredible uh, uh, storyline of the life of Jesus. Very unique among all the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. We'll take uh, many breaks uh, in that journey and uh, looking forward to doing that. Well, I want to just say a couple things before we get started today. You may recall last week we shared about a uh, sending out a mission team to the Navajo Nation. I just got an update from Pastor Joshua, and they're uh, helping out uh, rebuild and uh, kind of renovate a church uh, up on the Navajo Nation. And so I want to say special thanks to all those that um, uh, g- have given financially uh, towards our hope offering. That really helps fuel that, uh, our outreach and our, our mission uh, strategy. And then additionally, I want to just say thanks for all of you that have been praying. So let's just celebrate for a moment real quick. We've got a team up there doing that. It's always good to do that. So when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, I mean, it's pretty unique in Arizona. You can cross over and be straight into another nation real fast when you jump onto an Indian reservation. Uh, So anyway, we're excited about what's going on there. And we'll hear more as we kind of move along uh, when they get back. Uh, Last but not least, I just want to say uh, last week we hosted the Gather event. My wife and I, Leslie, we had about 30 to 40 of you uh, that were a part of that special gathering. And we had lunch together and shared about the story of the church, the strategy, kind of the structure, all the S words, you know, just to make it work. We worked through the purpose statement and the belief statement. And uh, so the good news is, is the church is just continuing to grow, even in the summer, uh, Uh, The church is continuing to grow. So, um, well, we've been in a series this summer called Summer in the Psalms. For those of you that are new, over the last week we were looking at some of life's biggest questions. We looked at, uh, in the weeks past, what is God's purpose for my life? Last week we looked at, will life get any better? 
And today we're looking at the question, what's wrong with me? Have you ever done something, here's my question, have you ever done something stupid before, something perhaps super, super simple, and it just goes terribly wrong, and then you ask the question, what is wrong with me? How could I have done that? Uh, I found some people who captured some epic failures, I would say, on camera, uh, so that you could have a good laugh as we get started this morning. So let's take a couple of looks at some of these funny pictures. Uh, So here's a picture, I don't know if you can see it or not. But it's an iPhone and it's plugged in. The uh, headphones are plugged in. And the caption below is, pretty sure mom thinks that she's charging it. (laughs) So as uh, some of you are technology uh, challenged, and uh, uh, perhaps that's been you before. Uh, Maybe when the son confronted the the mother, mom, you you didn't charge your phone. You just plugged in your earbuds. So... Uh, here's another one found. I thought it was pretty funny. I just wanted to take a selfie with a bird. Something went terribly wrong in that photo. Uh, so here's one more. You can see. Looks like someone put way too much soap in the washing machine. So I remember a few Thanksgivings ago, I was sitting on the back porch and uh, my wife was decided she wanted to, uh, you know, cooked the turkey and and, uh, I guess she turned it on broil and all of a sudden I'm sitting in the backyard and I'm like FaceTiming my family and all of a sudden smoke just starts billowing out of the house and you can hear the alarm beep, beep, beep. (laughs) Something went terribly wrong. Well, hey, on a more serious note, we're asking the question, what is wrong with me? Maybe you've said that before. Why do I do that? I wish I didn't do that. Um, The Apostle Paul said something like that too. He said, I do the things, the very things that I do not want to do. So there's times in life when you do things that you know, you're like, man, that was so bad. That was so dumb. Why did I do that? Well, today we're going to look at a case study in the life of David from the Psalms when he did something terribly wrong. Um, He didn't want to do it, but his temptation was way too much. Maybe today you're struggling. Maybe today you're wondering uh, why you can't overcome an issue in your life. Or maybe there's a burden that you've been carrying and you feel stuck. Uh, Maybe you're in a gridlock of guilt and you're wondering if if you can get through it. Maybe you're wondering, asking the question, what is wrong with me? Well, today I want to help you get through whatever you're going through and by answering the question as we look at Psalms 32. First, I want to give you the backstory of Psalms 32. It's important to get acquainted uh, with the main character for which we're going to learn from. King David, at this point in time in Psalms 32, he is not a boy. Uh, He is a very mature man. In fact, he's been reigning and ruling in Israel as king. Uh, He's healthy, wealthy, and wise in many ways, Uh, yet he's miserable, and he's been miserable for over a year. Uh, He is said to be a man after God's own heart, and yet he's been feeling terrible up until this point when he penned this song of what I will call forgiveness. You might ask, well, what did he do? Uh, 2 Samuel 11 through 12 tells us that he actually lusted after his neighbor's wife, He commits adultery, then he made the husband get drunk, had him killed, and then covered up the whole affair for about a year. Psalms 51 
is the David's prayer of confession of that incident. In Psalms 32, which we're going to look at today, is when David confesses and finds forgiveness. So let's see how, how all that works. Uh, Psalms 32, verse 1, he says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Uh, note the words here. Blessed actually means in Hebrew, it means happy. Uh, happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Transgression means an act of rebellion, defying God, or maybe crossing over the line that God has drawn. So here's my question. Have you ever crossed over the line and done something that you know is wrong? Uh, sometimes you, you, we say, well, how do we know right from wrong? Well, part of it is, is God has implanted into you um, a conscience. There's a moral argument uh, for even unbelievers. There's some sense of right and wrong, even for the unbeliever. But for the believer... We have the Holy Spirit, which convicts us of sin oftentimes. And then on top of that, we have the Word of God to give us clarity and direction and true uh, understanding of, of right and wrong. He says, happy is the one who's crossed over the line, but they're forgiven, whose sin is covered. Sin here means, and it does mean, it means missing the mark. It means failing to meet God's standard and expectation. And then that word covered means that God's dealt with it. So in other words, what the psalmist is saying here is, happy is the one who's crossed over the line and found forgiveness. Or, happy is the one who's messed up but found God's mercy. Or, happy is the one who's failed and has been given a fresh start. So today, we're going to look and understand what it looks like to under, uh, put your finger on it, what's wrong with me, but then find out how to deal with it. Verse 2, let's continue to read. He said, blessed is the man uh, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. That word blessed again means happy is the one or happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Iniquity means crooked and corrupt from the inside out. Um, David is saying there's something terribly wrong inside of me. Uh, it's crooked. It's not straight. Um, throughout Scripture, there's the idea that we're all a bit crooked on the inside. There's some stuff that's just not uh, morally perfect. Um, the Christian life is not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about understanding that we have a direction in which we're called to, to live a life of holiness and to walk away from sin and turn towards our Savior. David here is saying, because uh, he's experiencing this, uh, he's experienced what it's like to live in sin and uh, shame and guilt and also to be forgiven. Verse 3, let's look what it says. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. You ever been there before? Ever concealed a secret sin? It feels pretty miserable, uh, especially if you have a close relationship uh, with somebody, and uh, they're wondering about you and how you're doing. Uh, David concealed this uh, perhaps for about a year. Uh, verse 4, he says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. That is guilt. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Uh, as living in one of the hottest cities in the country, we know heat. Uh, we know the pain of heat and how uh, it can immobilize you. 
I remember visiting Phoenix, and this is what you hear, right? When, when you, you hear people trying to welcome, lure people into our hot city, they say, oh, it's a, help me out, dry heat. I'm like, yeah, it's a dry heat, but it's still like oven heat, okay? I remember when we moved in to the valley, it was, um, I think it was July, almost uh, about 10 years ago, and I was, uh, didn't have, we didn't know anybody when we got here, and uh, I told my wife, I'm going to go ahead and unload the, the U-Haul by myself, and she, uh, we had two little ones at the time, and so she's getting them tucked in and everything, and I just start to unload and unload, and the neighbor comes out and sees me sweating and uh, sees me laboring. He says, hey, I'll help you move in. I said, thanks so much. I said, man, how hot is it? And he said, I, said, I think we hit a new record. It was 122 today. I said, oh, I didn't know that existed. <laughs> um, and so literally I get to the, we unload everything. I lay down in the apartment. I didn't get up for two days. I think I had a heat stroke. And then I remember all the people that would try to say, it's a dry heat. I'm like, it's a dry heat that'll kill you is what it is. Uh, so uh, David is there. He's been immobilized by the pain of con- uh, conviction and uh, He's on the floor. Uh, He's broken on the inside, but he's starting to find some healing and hope because he's dealt with his sin. Undealt with sin is like a sickness. It it will really rob your joy. It'll emotionally and spiritually kind of rot you out from the inside. And uh, that's where uh, David is realizing just the depravity and the darkness of it all. In verse 5, he's going to take ownership for his offense. He says this, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity, my crookedness. I said, I will confess my transgressions, meaning I will confess that I've crossed the line to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Uh, There's nothing better than being right before God. A feeling a confidence and a courage to say, man, I'm, I'm good with God. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, said that he always strived to keep his conscience clear before God and before man. Uh, that's always been my aim in, in life is I just want to try to keep a clear conscience. Because if I got a clear conscience, then I have a lot more courage in life. Uh, as believers, we need a clear conscience. David confessed his rebellious acts against the Lord. He was forgiven, and in that, he found freedom so good, and he enjoyed it so much that he starts to encourage others to do the same. Watch what it says in verse 6. He says, therefore, basically, it's there for a reason. He's saying, therefore, because I've experienced forgiveness, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Uh, David is uh, saying, in a sense, that there is an opportunity for other people to experience the same level of goodness and grace that he experienced. Uh, In this uh, saying, at the very end here, he says, Surely in the great rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. The psalmist is sharing about how God's wrath and judgment are like a raging river. Uh, It's fast in a furious flood that's averted for the one who confesses their sin. Uh, This summer, I had the opportunity to take my family back to Buena Vista, Colorado, where I came to faith in Christ 24 years ago. And I worked as a river guide uh, some 20 years ago for several summers. 
I logged about 3,000 miles of whitewater commercial guiding. And uh, after all those miles of experience, when I got back in the boat this summer, a guide said to me, a young guide, he had just been uh, trained and commercially certified, said, what's it like? Has the river changed much? I'm like, I'm not that old, man. Uh, rivers don't change that much. I said, it looks pretty much the same. But I said, I do want to remind you how, how awesome this river is. I said, and by awesome, I don't mean necessarily safe. I mean deadly and dangerous. He said, I know. I heard, I heard about it. Uh, that company had a death uh, just a few years ago. It was one of the last companies in the valley where somebody uh, had died on, their, on the guide's watch. Uh, we had a perfect track record, in a sense, for, for decades. Uh, but every year, uh, somebody falls over the boat, falls into that ra- those raging rivers, and uh, dies. Uh, what the psalmist is saying is that apart from God's grace and covering, we're like swept into a deadly river. And what the psalmist is saying is, surely in that rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. In other words, if you're in Christ, you're protected. Uh, If you're a believer, you're protected. And he's perhaps a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus Christ, that through Christ, uh, we are covered, we're anchored, we're safe, and we're not going to suffer from God's wrath. Verse 7 Look what he says. He says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surrounded me with shouts of deliverance. He's excited. He knows that he's safe with God. Verse 8 and 11, God speaks and he says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. In other words, he's watching what's going on. He says he's reassuring him that he's there with him and for him. Verse 9, I think this is a very interesting uh, exhortation. He tells them not to be like a stubborn mule. He says, be not like a horse or a mule uh, without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will, sh- or, or it will not stay near you. One scholar uh, rightly pointed out that David talks about two extremes here. He talks about the horse and that rushes ahead impulsively. And then he talks about the mule who lags behind stubbornly. Christians should avoid both extremes. So my question is, do you, do you rush into things or do you kind of lag behind? And what the Lord is telling David is don't be like uh, somebody who rushes ahead foolishly and get yourself into all sorts of trouble, um, who perhaps uh, leaps or looks, doesn't look before they leap, uh, but he, uh, and don't be the one who gets lags behind. Verses 10 through 11, he closes out by comparing and contrasting the wicked and the righteous. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. It says, uh, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Uh, So let's review. In the passage that we've read so far, we've seen how, in a sense, we've all uh, struggled with sin. The psalmist David owns it. Uh, We see how we're inwardly off, in a sense. We see perhaps how we maybe even have missed the mark, uh, crossed the line, done things that we shouldn't, and God calls that sin. The Bible calls that sin all throughout the Scriptures. We even, in essence, answered the question, what is wrong with me? The answer is sin. 
sin is the ongoing struggle uh, to disobey and uh, not do what God wants us to do. It's doing anything and everything that isn't God's plan and purpose for our life. It's an ongoing struggle. The Apostle Paul said that as well. He does the things that he does not want to do. And so the question is, is what's wrong with me? And uh, the good news is, is that God doesn't want us just to understand what's wrong with us, but he also wants to understand how to deal with it. And so uh, inside of everybody, there's a, a level of emptiness and uh, 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 crookedness uh, that needs to be healed. And it can only be healed uh, through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. In today's time, uh, we have the revelation of Jesus. We have the revelation of God's word, and it gives us clarity and direction. So uh, what I want to do is I want to share with you three reasons as to uh, how we can make right whatever's been made wrong. But before I do that, what I want to do is answer the question, uh, is how, why is it so difficult? Well, number one, if we're going to deal with our sin, we need to own it. Uh, we need to own it. It can be a very uh, difficult, uh, hard pill to swallow if we're honest. I think that we probably don't like to admit when we're wrong. Uh, unfortunately, even in Christian circles, there's very little uh, confession. Oftentimes, there's very little admitting you're wrong. And I think there's many reasons as to why we don't like to own it. And uh, I'd say, number one, I think because we're taught by culture that people are good. Uh, culture, uh, we say things all the time, uh, knowingly or unknowingly, we say, well, they're young and they're so innocent. Or we say, he or she, they've got a good heart. Um, and maybe you, knowingly or unknowingly, you invite music to, to become your mantras. Uh, take, for example, a couple of country songs. Luke Bryan says that he believes most people are just good. Uh, Bill uh, Currington disagrees strongly, and he says, God is great, beer is good, but people are crazy. Uh, so when you listen to music uh, to allow to inform your ideas about a, a worldview of life, I would say you're going to be desperately and dangerously confused. Um, secondly, I would say churches too often water down the truth. Uh, they're not going to tell you to own it. Uh, pastors oftentimes don't preach about sin. There's very seldom a call to repentance. Uh, words like confession uh, really aren't uh, very popular. Uh, sermons are usually about steps for success or how to win in life. Find your best life now. And please don't get me wrong when I say this. Uh, the Christian life is the best life. I agree it is, but we need to know something uh, we are not in heaven. Uh, the earth is under a curse, and the curse is sin. It's infected and affected everything and everyone, and our remedy is Jesus. And the good news is, is that the best life is the life to come. Uh, we have a great life ahead of us as believers. Um, we are on the winning team, but oftentimes we lose right now. Or the Apostle Paul wouldn't say, I'm doing the things that I don't want to do. So what is wrong with you, what is wrong with me, is we all sin. The Bible says we were born into it. Uh, St. Augustine rightly called it original sin. It's the first sin, in a sense, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. They faced the consequences. Sin entered the world as a result. Everything and everyone was infected by this deadly virus. 
It spread to every person on the planet, according to Romans 5.12. But just as sin entered the world through one man, that is Adam, so the remedy of sin comes through the one man, Jesus. And so Jesus is the only cure. He is the remedy. He is the vaccine. COVID-19, as, uh, as deadly as it is, it isn't the most deadly virus in our world. Sin is. Sin kills people slowly, surely, leads to destruction. Uh, it damns them to hell. Sin separates mankind from a life with God, from the love of God, and it sentences them to an eternity of suffering and torment. Uh, it is by far the most deadly virus. It is what is wrong with us. Uh, there is no hope of redemption without Jesus as the Savior. When we own our sin, we are actually taking the very first step to acknowledge our need for a Savior. We need no saving if we don't realize the problem. The Bible says, clearly, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness, um, unrighteousness. And so, the third reason I think why it's hard for us to own it is this, is that uh, it's just easier to blame people. I've said it before at this church, but blame is lame. And uh, it's very often this happens uh, because we just don't like to own it. Uh, when someone points out your error, my question is, is, do you deflect? Somebody says, hey, why'd you do that? And then you start talking about somebody else all of a sudden. Instead of talking about you, you want to talk about someone else or something else. If that's you, my encouragement is to stop doing that. Uh, maybe you say, well, the reason I'm like the way I am, or because this or that, is because this or that. Uh, if, or maybe you say, if you didn't treat me like this, or if I wasn't treated like this, I wouldn't treat others like that. If that's you, my encouragement is to stop doing that. Blame is lame. Or maybe you've got a sense of entitlement, and you say, well, I've worked so hard, so I deserve a break. Or maybe you say, everyone else is doing that, why can't I? These are all excuses. These are all blaming uh, uh, someone or something for your uh, misbehavior. Uh, additionally, you may say, um, maybe you crossed the line and made excuses about your marriage. You say things like, well, my spouse isn't responsive to me sexually, and so that justifies my actions. Or maybe you say, um, why I'm not really that bad, especially compared to other people, or compared to how much good I have done. If this sounds like you, my encouragement is to stop and own it. Real life begins when this excuses ends. Uh, when you stop making excuses and you just say, man, I need help. I need you, Jesus. I need you to help me. Uh, it's nobody's fault but your own. You're responsible for your actions according to the Word of God. Uh, blame is lame. So the first step in making it right is just to own it. A very uh, countercultural, uncool thing to do today is everybody wants to blame somebody else. You just say, no, it's my fault. Uh, take responsibility, own it. Uh, number two, I would say, change your perspective. In verse five, David says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Um, David doesn't say, I guess if I have to, or because the Lord has made me, or because I am worried what people may think. So no, he says, I will confess to the Lord. And confess here means, is really cool, in Verse 5, it literally means seeing things from the perspective of the one you've wronged. 
Um, not only are you admitting it, but you're changing your perspective uh, to the perspective of the one that is wrong. And this is not easy at all. A bad example of confession would be is when we wrongly say things like this. this if you're married, you've probably been very guilty of saying something like this. I'm sorry if I've offended you. Um, when you say, I'm sorry if I've offended you, in essence, what you're saying is, I'm not sorry for what I did. I'm sorry that you are upset about it. Uh, so let me try that again. Have you ever been there before? Where you go, I'm sorry if that offended you. And I, you're just so sensitive. Uh, it wouldn't offend other people, but I'm sorry if that offended you. No, that's a terrible way for confession to take place. Uh, I'm sorry... Uh, is, uh, I'm sorry if that offended you, that's a cheap confession and it's a selfish attempt at it. Uh, the common problem, though, with confession is that we're stubborn. Uh, this is why God says in verse 9, be not like a mule. Uh, in verse 9, the psalmist uh, is told by God, don't be like a mule. In other words, don't be stubborn like a mule. Mules, I don't know if you've ever seen one or worked with one, uh, but they don't really love their master. Um, they only obey because they have to. Um, they have a, a, a bit in their mouth or they're drug around with a lead rope. And they're notoriously stubborn creatures. The common problem with confession is that we're very, very stubborn. Trying to get your spouse or someone to apologize can often be like uh, with little kids. Please say you're sorry. I'm sorry, can I play now? And they just go on their business. And you're like, that, didn't even, that wasn't even genuine. Um, the Lord's telling us, maybe some of you are really stubborn and your heart needs to be softened and saying things like, I'm, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Please forgive me. And here's a good example of confession. It's important to gain perspective is important. Uh, getting outside of yourself and seeing the other person's pain and hurt. See them as God sees them. That's the true idea of genuine confession. Saying something like, I'm sorry I offended you. Not if I offended you. I'm sorry I offended you. I know that that hurt you. That was wrong of me. Please forgive me. Something along those lines. I'm sorry I offended you. I know that that hurt. I was wrong. Please forgive me. That's complete ownership of the violation that's been committed. I mean, it'd be like you go into a court, I'm sorry, judge, if I broke the law. Like, no, you broke the law, you needed to say, I'm sorry, I broke the law. Uh, so God's laid it out for us, and uh, David owns it. And he has a perspective that is not uh, just uh, from his perspective, it is seeing things uh, from the other perspective, God's perspective and the people that he's wronged. Uh, God wants us to change our perspective when it comes to sin. Genuine confession is about changing your perspective, a perspective to the one you've wronged. When you take on the, the eyes of the Lord and you look at a situation and you say, Lord, I want to see like you see. I want to deal with things the way you would deal with things. Uh, changing your perspective is really important. And then lastly, I would say it's just change your ways. Uh, some of you are going in the wrong direction and perhaps with no hesitation. Uh, that is a very dangerous way to live. I remember a friend of mine, uh, when I first became a Christian, I uh, 
had a house and I invited all my old buddies, some of them that had crossed the, the, the line of faith and started believing. And this one guy got real upset and mad at God because he was, something bad happened in life and he blamed it all on God. And uh, I remember he was in my driveway and he was basically turning his back on God, the church and everything else and going his own direction. And uh, he said, I don't care anymore. I don't care about God. I don't care about, I tried to do it the right way. It didn't work out for me. And I said, man, you, you, you better be careful. What are you going to go do? I'm going to go get wasted this weekend. I said, okay, well, just be careful, man, you know, and don't, don't ever forget. God loves you and wants to help you, and I'm here for you if you need me. He said, man, whatever. Peeled out, out of my driveway. I get a phone call about uh, two days later. Uh, he was in a terrible four-wheeler accident, um, cracked his skull wide open, was drunk, and uh, it was a... One of these moments where he went the opposite direction, but with no hesitation. It's my concern for perhaps uh, some of you or some of those that you know, that you love. They're going in the wrong direction and there's no hesitation. Um, That's an incredibly dangerous way to live. Um, Most of you probably aren't there, but this is a warning to you change your ways. This is the biblical word is repentance, change. Um, most of you though, are probably, uh, not proud of the fact that you've been going in the wrong direction and there's quite a bit of hesitation. There's question and you're probably ready for change. In verse 10, uh, we see that David was ready and he changed. He talks about a newfound trust in God. In verse 11, he talks about new joy in God, a new surrender to God, and he has confessed He has seen the sin from God's perspective, and now he's moving forward. If you're going to change, it starts with owning it, admitting you're wrong, admitting you've sinned. Secondly, it starts with changing your perspective about the way you see your sin and how you confess to others and apologize to those you've offended. And lastly, it means that you change some of the things in your life that led you to the mistakes that you made in the first place. We're challenged to change our our ways. The word repent, again, means to change direction. It means to turn away from sin and then turn towards your Savior. Uh, There is no genuine confession without change. If there is no change, there's probably no genuine confession. Uh, When there is genuine confession, there's change. Because you see your sin, and then you see the Savior, and you say, I need to change. If we say sorry, but then we get straight back to our old ways, and it's just lip service and not life service. This is why Jesus got so fired up uh, when he said, you praise me with your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. In other words, it's very possible to just look like you're doing good on the outside, but do terribly uh, on the inside. Jesus called these people lukewarm uh, people uh, that were neither hot or cold. They were people that were sitting on the fence, if you will. Uh, They looked good on the outside, but there was evil in their heart. There was undealt with sin, undealt with unconfessed sin. And Jesus, here's what he says to all of us. Uh, Jesus just says, come to me. No matter how many times you fall down, just come to me. Just get up and then come to me. One of my favorite Bible verses is Proverbs 24, 11, And it says, the righteous falls seven times. Uh, and the reality is, is you say, well, how is that your favorite uh, uh, Bible verse, because it tells us that the Christian life is actually not about perfection, but it's about direction. It's about getting back up, because we're all going to fall. 
We're all going to mess up. We're all going to say things and do things that we uh, regret, wish we didn't do. Uh, But when you fall, you get back up and you look towards God. Uh, Maybe if you can imagine if you went out to a shopping mall and you see somebody fall, uh, you might... uh, 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 unintentionally giggle for just a moment because you thought, oh man, he fell. Wow, I hope he's okay. Oh, he's okay. Yeah, good. And you kind of move on your way. But then if you watched him fall six or seven times, you'd be like, something is terribly wrong with that person. And you'd feel terrible about it. What the scripture says is that we're going to fall over and over and over again. But we have a remedy, and that remedy is, is looking towards Christ owning our sin, changing our perspective on how we think about it, and then changing our direction in our ways and how we live our life. So I don't know. My guess is probably most of you just need a little bit of a course correction. Uh, So I want to lead us in a prayer in helping you deal with it to make right perhaps whatever is wrong in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I, I thank you for your word And I pray that we would pray a prayer like this today. If not today, maybe later this week. But may it be in this moment. Just quietly in our chairs, pray a prayer like this. Lord, I confess my sin to you. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I'm sorry for, and then you fill in the blank. I'm sorry for, Lord, and then you fill in the blank. Please forgive me. Thank you for hope. Thank you for healing. I need healing. I need course correction. I need to own it. I want to change my perspective. Help me to see it as you see it. Lord, there's some areas in my life I need to change my ways. Because the future direction in that direction is not a very good one. So I'm going to make a course correction today. So, Lord, I surrender to you as my Lord. I pray that you fill me with strength and power to live for you, to own my sin, to change my perspective, to change my ways in the areas that need changing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to receive communion. And so what a great opportunity for you. Maybe uh, something has surfaced in your mind or in your heart that you're like, man, that is an area I need some course correction. Or may, that's, a, that's an area I just need a total change. Um, and so the good news is, is through a relationship with Jesus Christ, again, it's not about how many times you fall down. It's about how many times you get back up and that you own it. And then you make a new direction, make some course adjustments in life. So I want to encourage you to do that. And then uh, realize that when you're taking the bread and the juice, there are two, uh, two cups that are stacked together, It's remembering what Jesus Christ has done, that he has forgiven you, Uh, that his body was broken uh, so that your your spirit uh, would not have to be broken, but that you can walk in some healing and some wholeness, and that you can find forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so we can answer the question, what is wrong with me? It's a struggle of sin. Uh, But the remedy is Jesus and our Savior. And so look to that. And have great hope and anticipation that one day there will be a day when there is no more sin, there is no more sorrow, there is no more suffering, and that day has not yet come. That day is when King Jesus returns and we have a great, uh, not a democracy or a Republican uh, party, but we have a theocracy. 
when King Jesus rules and reigns and he controls all things, all of creation will sing in that. And so until then, we struggle, but we get back up. Amen? Amen. So in just a moment, you can just come down and receive communion as you're ready. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.